special bonus episode on teen sexual health. In this episode, we take another look at sexual health working with young people. We spoke with Tori Sparks, an experienced sexuality educator in Michigan, to learn more about this important public health topic. We hope you enjoy our interview with this amazing youth educator and sexuality education professional. Yeah, so hi, uh, my name is Tori Sparks. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and they, them, theirs. Um, I am a sexual health educator and advocate, um, specifically working with young people. Um, my specialty and, and experience is in working with high schoolers. Um, I work for um, one of the largest providers of sexual health and education in the United States here in um, the Michigan affiliate. Um, so a majority of my work is in classrooms. Um, I teach right now the basics of contraceptives and condom usage, um, as well as sort of an LGBTQ 101 presentation in high school health classrooms. Um, and I do that also through running a peer education program. So I train high schoolers to teach their peers. Um, peer education is a really effective model, as I'm sure you know. Um, in um, public health education, um, especially with young people who, um, and especially with sex education, are really going to listen to their peers more than they are adults. Um, young people get a majority of their sex education from their peers, um, but unfortunately, it's not often like accurate information. And so, um, my one a part of my job is to make sure that young people are equipped with the right information and skills to educate their peers. Um, I also facilitate a couple youth advisory councils. Um, so making sure that when an organization um, is putting out work that is directly affecting young people or about adolescent health, um, that young people are getting their eyes on it and they're getting their input on it. Um, so I see a lot of my work as um, providing resources for young people, um, teaching them about their bodies so they can make their own decisions, um, advocating for them um, in arenas where their voices are not usually heard, um, and make, yeah, making sure that youth voice is sort of at the center of um, the work that we do. And I think generally, and I can talk about this a little bit more, but um, my work is guided by nothing about us without us. And so making sure that um, sort of the um, perspective in public health that's creating programs for people without their input isn't happening. Um, I think especially um, amongst all the power dynamics and um, various ways that people are marginalized. It's really harmful when public health work is done um, without the voices of the most impacted groups. And so um, when I graduated, um, so I spent four years studying gender sexuality and feminist studies at Oberlin College. Um, I also have a degree in anthropology and a minor in French. I um, felt like I had spent a lot of time in the ivory tower and um, Felt like I was like, okay, you know, like sitting in the classroom studying um, dynamics and studying the way the work is done. Um, 
And much of what I'm really grateful for about my education is that it taught me how to think, but it didn't teach me what to think. Um, and so I was really eager to get on the ground post-graduation and start doing the work. Um, I wasn't sure what that was going to look like, but I got very lucky. You mentioned briefly um, a little bit ago about personal responsibility and individual responsibility. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that in the context of this example as well. Yeah, um, so a lot of issues around teen pregnancy and parenting um, is framed as a personal responsibility issue. Um, so I'll back up a little bit. Individualism is a system that um, makes us think about people outside of their circumstances. So it frames um, people's decisions and the things that they do based on their inherent self um, and making their own decisions when in reality we're making decisions in the context that we're in and um, we're going to have to make different decisions based on our situations, right? So this is a really big problem when you look at like the welfare system or even something like Medicaid and Medicare um, that's going to say, well, you screwed up, you don't have a job. And so why should my tax dollars have to help you out? Right. Um, when in reality, like the reason that that person needs to be on welfare or needs Medicaid is structural and not because they're lazy, but an individualist framework, which is like super, super, everywhere in America um, wants us to think that it's that person's fault for their decision making and not, well, okay, they didn't have XYZ resources in the beginning, right? Um, so a lot of sex education funding actually um, from the federal government is what's called PrEP funding, which is a personal responsibility education act. And um, while we're able to do really good work with that money. Um, it still is based in framing teen pregnancy as like an issue of making the wrong choices and it's your fault. Um, when in reality, it's super complex. Um, some teenagers make the decision to become pregnant and want that. And guess what? It's fine because they're making their own decision and they should be allowed to make their own decision about their body, right? Some teenagers are in a situation where they were not taught, many teenagers, um, they were not taught how to prevent pregnancy. They were not taught how pregnancy happens. They were not provided with what they needed to prevent pregnancy. And as a result of being a, like a human being who is developing and might want to be intimate with another human being, um, may have been in a situation where pregnancy could occur, became pregnant, right? And a personal responsibility lens wants us to be like, wow, that teenager was being really irresponsible. Shame, 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 right? Um, when in reality, we can say, all right, did you have what you needed to make this decision? No? Okay, great. The education system and a whole lot of other systems did not give you what you need to be able to make your own decisions. Um, it is, I mean, I, like I said, I work with teenagers and it's unbelievable, unbelievable how many of my students really do not even understand how menstruation occurs and have been menstruating for years. Um, 
or have no idea um, what the risks, what physical and emotional risks they're taking on when they make the decision to become sexually active because nobody sat down and taught them, right? So it's, I mean, I'm getting on sort of a sex ed tangent here, right? But this is not about like stopping kids from getting pregnant, teens from getting pregnant. It's not about stopping teens from having sex. It's about giving people the amount, the, the, enough information and resources to make those informed decisions and not framing every decision that happens as, as like a personal failing, but rather as the failing, uh, it not even a failing, right? But the circumstances that that person is in and the structures that may not have given them everything they need to make the right decisions for themselves. So one of the things that um, I do and with my peer which my, with my peer educators when I assist them in teaching is that we do a condom demonstration, right? Um, and we do a condom demonstration with um, fairly realistic models of what a penis looks like. Because guess what? Penises don't look like bananas. And putting a condom on a banana is nothing like putting a condom on a penis, right? Um, we allow the students to have, um, to actually use expired condoms in the demo so they can like open the package and see what it looks like, right? They can see what it feels like. And they're getting all that all of that like sort of hands-on experience is in a safe place um, but let's say that um, I was only using a reproductive health lens when I was teaching that lesson um, I'd probably walk in and be like all right this is a condom and a condom is going to prevent STDs you don't mind STDs so let's learn how to put this on the penis and then we just do it and we you know all right you pinch the inch and then you roll it down and we're done right a more holistic approach um, is going to consider a variety of things. One of the things that we need to do is make sure that we're creating a safe space for students to be able to do something that's kind of scary and vulnerable and also like highly stigmatized, right? And so we need to make sure that we've set out really clear guidelines for what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, students can opt out and that's fine. They do not have to do the condom demonstration. Well, and in doing so, right, we need to make clear that it's never, this happens all the time, it's never acceptable to um, comment on or police whether another student decides to do the demo or not, right? When we teach, so we go step by step, and the first thing that we ask is, um, the first step that we're gonna, we're gonna say, what's the first step to using the condom, right? And the students are, they all raise their hand um, and they're like, Are you take it out of the package? We're like, no. And they're like, oh, but we checked the expiration date. And we're like, no. Um, the first step to using a condom is consent. And they're like, wait, what? And then we teach them about consent because teaching them about condom usage without teaching them about consent is not giving them all the tools they need. And if we're teaching kids how to use condoms, we're not teaching kids in the same breath how to make sure that they're communicating with their partner about what's happening or not setting them up for success. Um, another thing that happens in that demo is that a lot of people, a lot of health teachers will do a condom demo and they'll be like, all right, so we have the condom on and now you put the penis in the vagina. What happens to the however many kids in the room who are not going to have sex that way because of their preferences and desires and bodies, right? 
what happens to them? Well, they feel wrong. They feel unnatural. They feel scared. They feel not included. They shut down. And they say, well, this isn't for me, so I'm not paying attention. And then they don't learn how to use a condom, which is super necessary for many other things that people do with their bodies sexually, right? Besides put a penis in a vagina. So all of these things are part of a more holistic approach. We are going to talk about, okay, where you get a condom. And the answer to that is not just you go to the store and you buy it, right? Because how many students are going to have the resources to go to the store and buy a condom, right? So we talk about where in their community they can access free condoms. And there are even some like really incredible sex ed curricula that walk students through the, the process of what it's like to purchase a condom or what, what, where would you get one if you needed one, right? Going back to reproductive rights though, in the state of Michigan, you cannot hand out condoms at school. Um, teachers and staff and any adults in the school cannot hand out any condoms. So we do a condom demonstration. We teach them all about condoms, why to use them, consent, you know, all the different ways, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then we have to collect them back. And then they say, oh, but can I have one? And we say, no, that's illegal. I'm sorry. Like, you're going to have to go somewhere outside of school to get that, right? So <laughs> all of this this whole example gives us like, all right, the reproductive health piece is the actual, like, we need to teach condom usage. And the reproductive rights piece is that we need to be le like legislatively allowed to teach about condoms in school and allowed to give condoms out in school. But the reproductive justice piece is gonna say, okay, but you need to make sure you're doing it in a way that's super inclusive of people being able to make their own decisions within their context that have been created outside of their control how much money they have, um, their sexual orientation and desires, the classroom dynamic in and of itself where like rape culture is everywhere in high school, right? Um, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess that's sort of an example that gives you all three frameworks and why they're all like crucial, um, but need to be working together and you can't really have one without the other too, right? If you think about, I teach young people, um, that vasectomies and tubal ligations are a thing. And sometimes I'll come across young people or even people in their 20s who are like, man, I would really like to get a tubal, like get to get my tubes tied or get a tubal ligation. And I'm like, unfortunately, you're gonna have a really hard time finding a doctor who's gonna operate on you because they're going to convince you. They're gonna try to convince you to have children. Um, that happens to white women most often. And women of color have been sterilized without their knowledge in a lot of cases as well, right? But that sexism even is going to play into, well, okay, but you know, you have this anatomy and, and you're a white woman and you need to reproduce. And so I'm not going to do your tubal ligation. Come back when you're 40 and we'll think about it, right? It's going to block somebody from having access to care that they deserve. I mean, I think probably to some listeners, this is all going to be really daunting. I think a lot of people, myself included, the first time you encounter the amount of oppression and you, especially, you know, if you're a person who grew up with privilege and you're learning for the first time that um, a lot of these things are happening and have happened, it's like really overwhelming. And for a lot of people who did not 
grow up with amount of privilege, it's like, well, yeah, duh, you don't need to put it in a textbook for me to know that. I've like understood that my whole life and my experiences, but we all have um, spots where we don't necessarily understand other people's experiences because we're only, we're only living in our identities, right? And I think that that feeling overwhelmed sometimes and just like, I mean, talking about white people and guilt, um, it's like overwhelming and it stops people from doing work. Um, and I think that just beginning to educate yourself is a really good place to start. Um, and there's an, um, just an absolute plethora of resources for learning and for beginning to break down your biases and for beginning to understand the history of the country that you didn't learn in your history class. And like, it is, unbelievably easy if you have access to the internet to access some of those resources to start to learn and so I don't ever want and I realize this is like a thing that happens I don't want people to shut down because it's overwhelming like oh my god everything in the world is bad this is all a dumpster fire I give up there's nothing I can do I think if you were walking down the street and you see somebody who is in the really unfortunate position to have to ask strangers for money and you think, instead of the way we've been conditioned to think, which is that's that person's fault, which is that personal responsibility and individualism thing, right? They just need to be pulled up by their bootstraps and get a job or whatever, right? If you are in a position of financial stability, pull out $5 and give it to that person and look them in the eye and give them a smile and tell them to have a really great day. You're not doing something like revolutionary you're not changing the whole world right but you're beginning to break down some of these really toxic ideologies about other people or you know like let's say you're in a public health program and <laughs> you're working on an initiative that you don't think is is that you think is happening about us without us just suggest hey, maybe we bring in one person <laughs> from the affected community on this project to um, give their input about what their community needs. Or maybe we run one focus group and we compensate people for their time and um, get, their, get people's input on this, right? Um, one thing that makes me really proud to work where I work is that we always make sure that youth are compensated for their time. If we offer opportunities that youth can access only if they're in a privileged enough position to not have to work in their free time then we're not reaching everybody. People need to be compensated for their work and not tokenized either, right? These issues are complicated and complex and overwhelming. And also that doesn't mean we should run away from them. So going along with that, um, how are, what are some different ways that people can be involved in uh, reproductive justice and advancing the work that you do? I think it's really gonna, so, I want to start talking about this by talking about the fact that not every way of being an activist is for everybody. So in college, I was in a lot of positions where I like was told that the only way to be an activist was to go to a protest and yell about something, which absolutely we need people doing that. And I'm not one of them. So, and like, I felt a lot of shame about that for a long time that like, 
that there are parts of act that there are types of activism that don't work for me um because they make me really anxious or they you know like because i have trauma that makes those spaces not feel good or like whatever right i can sit at my laptop all day and accomplish important work i am doing the work by going into classrooms i am not doing the work by going into the capitol building both ways of doing the work are important right and so we always see the loudest work um and that is important and there's so much behind the scenes also happening whether that is like hey i just got my stimulus check and i'm gonna donate a hundred dollars of it to um organizations that are doing work to, to, to help marginalized communities right now. And I'm going to find out what those organizations are by talking to people who are, who are affected by those issues, by talking to people who I trust who are already doing the work. I've literally been in situations where people are like, hey, I have $100 to donate to an organization that my grandma gave me. Where do you think this should best go? Here's what I care about. Or to even say like, okay, I don't have any money to donate, but I have a couple hours on a Saturday and maybe my local mutual aid group needs somebody to go pick up a pallet from a grocery store. Or one of the coolest things happening right now, and this is not major structural work, this is like on the ground mutual aid work, is that um, people are beginning to help each other in <laughs> really, really cool ways by being like, like literally like hey um i need i you know have a kid i can't afford diapers right now i need diapers and then the rich lady up the street is like oh my god i have an extra pack of diapers here you go amazing right you did it cool somebody's like hey i need a ride to the immigration office to figure out something for my hearing and then somebody is like oh i actually am headed that way you can come in my car um, it does not have to look, this is important, calling your senators and writing letters is super important. That's not the only way this work happens. Um, parents beginning to raise their kids in a sex positive environment that tells them it's okay to have whatever body they have and that they can learn about it and love it. That's so important. That's reproductive justice work right there. Let's say you're good at spreadsheets. Okay, there's a ton of organizations out there that need somebody to do data entry for two hours. And there you go. You've made a start to, to helping out. And so just getting connected and then finding out what, what organizations need. It's really important not to just say, here's what I think you need, so I'm going to give you this, right? Um, so a really good example is that there's a mutual aid group around here um, that is really informally set up and um, helps people who are housing and food insecure. And um, they have a ton of cans, but no can openers. And so they have all these people who have cans of food and it's great, but none of them have can openers. And so they were like, hey y'all, if you wanna be helpful, right now we really don't need beans. We have enough beans can you get us a can opener? And instead of being like, well, I think you need beans though here, right? It's like, well, listen, just start by listening to what people need um, and go from there, right? And, and that takes breaking down um, our own internal biases that because of whatever identities we have, specifically white people, think that they know what's best for other people. Start by listening. Mm -hmm.
Start by taking an inventory of what you have. Is it time? Is it money? Is it expertise? And then figuring out where you can best serve. Thank you so much, Tori, for taking the time to speak with us. We hope our listeners have enjoyed this bonus episode on teen sexual health. Thanks for listening.